Thank you for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. As host, I am uniquely placed to learn about the initiatives of small business owners, students, student founders, educators, edtech founders, civic officials, nonprofit executives, healthcare executives, technology experts, money management experts, technology startup founders, and even oil and gas tech startups. These individuals have shared their stories both in person before COVID and remotely since March 2020 as the world continues to navigate the constantly changing COVID landscape. Out of 104 episodes recorded and released so far in 2021, I had the privilege of learning about the important work of MindFuel and their Founders Fundamentals program. Through a nine-week program, potential entrepreneurs from the Calgary community are provided with a forum to exchange ideas with one another around their potential or existing startup. Minefield executives also invited business leaders from around the Calgary community to share their experiences, their insights, and their advice for these founders. Take the time to consider learning more about Minefuel and possibly contributing your time to help with their Founders Fundamentals program. Once again, thanks for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast from whatever app you access your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and even Amazon Music. I also invite you to leave a review. This will allow others to easily find the Calgary Business Podcast. Have a great day and stay safe. Good afternoon and welcome to Calgary Business Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Wozni, and in the Zoom room or on Zoom, online today, I've got Sean Stinson. Sean is with uh, Blackline Safety. And Sean, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, but I should say for the 30th of November, this is episode number 330. So Sean, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, Blackline. Yeah, thanks, Ellen. Uh, my name is Sean Stinson. I'm the Chief Revenue Officer here at Blackline Safety. Um, I've been with the company for about nine years. Uh, in my role here, I'm responsible for revenue generation, um, which includes um, user experience, uh, customer retention, new sales, uh, yeah. data science. I've got a few different things under my umbrella here, but uh, really just responsible for trying to drive growth in the company. Um, Blackline's been around since 2004. So the company was started in 2004 by a gentleman named Brendan Cook and uh, started as a, uh, as a GPS tracking company and um, kind of a spinoff of, uh, you know, there's a kind of a cool lineage in Calgary of tech companies. Uh, so Brendan had worked at uh, Hemisphere GPS before, which, you know, traces this lineage back to Novatel GPS, which goes back to Novatel, which goes back to- the yeah. base to, I used to be uh, literally, that was my first client when I worked for Ernst and Young downtown and we went to Novotel. They're up by the airport or Deerfoot mall. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. The Deerfoot wow. atriums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. Like there's this, you know, Alberta government investment back in the late seventies yep. between Nova pipelines and I think AGT and uh, yeah, you know, 40, wow. 50 years later, whatever we're, we're kind of like, we can trace some of our lineage back to that. Um, so yeah, so uh, 2004 GPS trackers, high accuracy cloud-based GPS trackers, yeah. not a huge global market for that. Uh, <laughs> so around 2008, uh, a gentleman named Cody Slater came into the company and Cody had uh, started and sold a company called BW Technologies. And that right. company was sold to Honeywell ultimately for uh, a couple hundred million dollars. And BW Technologies was the, was the largest producer of portable gas detectors in the world at that time so you know that was a very strong alberta-based business one of the largest tech employers in calgary um you know which is new i mean if you take that that oil and gas that's i guess that so what is the emissions of sulfuric gas or h2s that little bit that's probably where they were i don't know if it's the origin but that sounds very important at least in my oil and gas experience wow oh exactly yeah yeah i was literally keeping people safe from h2s and explosive gases that's exactly what bw's mission was um so they you know they again became the largest in the world at that and uh 
So when Cody came into Blackline, he saw this immediate path, you know, that the company could go deeper into safety products and, yeah. you know, get away from trackers, but take that same cloud connected stuff, the, you know, location awareness and combine other technologies. So that included gas sensing and go back into industrial safety. And so that's, that's what the company did around 2008. It started to pivot. What a pivot. So pivoted from GPS to black, but because of an acquisition or a transaction. Yeah, like a, yeah it was a reverse takeover. So it was like a, CPC that uh, yeah. took Blackline public on the venture exchange at that time. And, uh, wow. and yeah, that's it. Like, I mean, just, it's, it was a pivot and, uh, and we sort of haven't looked back. Uh, so around 2008, the company started working with NMAX who had a loan worker challenge. So it's one of those kind of stories. I think that's in our DNA a little bit, like a client shows up and says, um, can you take this car tracker and put a button on it? So that if my people are, are, you know, feeling attacked or not safe or they need help, they can press this button and get help. And so it was the sort of modification of a car tracker that we had at the time. And uh, that became the company's first loan worker safety product. And then through that, you know, we started to realize that there was a market for this. And, and then we just kept innovating. We added satellite products. We had a lot of uh, Alberta oil and gas companies as clients, upstream oil and gas working in, yeah. you know, dangerous places outside of sight and sound. Um, and so, you know, and then about four, Four years ago, we launched a product called the G7, and that's been a, a huge boost to our growth. So I think since I've been here, our, our revenue has grown about 40 times, like over the past nine years. It's just been a, incredible. Been a it sounds ship. like you it sounds like you're bolting on different things that you you backed, you 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 laughed about or you said about the GPS tracking. But my day back in, in the Middle East, there was an there was an incident on site, and so the the you know the thing collapsed the water thing it was a big water tank it collapsed and the bolts didn't but they couldn't locate worker they couldn't locate yeah. people yeah. so the and and it's very territorial that sort of oh you know and people wanted they're very um they're creating projects and and a lot of money around to be this proprietary project and i was like i thought well why didn't you have the ppe have a tracker with an h2s sensor like I, it was just simple i thought these simple things because i was seeing innovation throughout no, this was three four years ago no, 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 you got to, you know, people's, there's confidentiality where they are. And I'm like, it was just an excuse because they were building, they were building something. But I, I think it's the three together, GPS, it's like having that, what is it, the old days of a fanny pack and that, um, the beepers, right? It sounds like you're just bringing it all together, <laughs> the beeper with a fanny pack or, you know, I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's exactly, I think you're exactly right. Like, that's a really good way to characterize it. It's, you know, there's a lot of technology on the market now, uh, you know, Amazon Web Services has incredible infrastructure to enable people to build incredible cloud services yeah. uh, that, that were not possible 10 or 15 years ago, um, or, or just the, the cost would have been, you know, out of reach. Um, so that's coming together, you know, battery technology is always improving. GPS chips are always getting smaller. Just all this technology is really converging. I think a lot because of mobile phones. Worker, I just, you know, the lone wolf, the guy, and a, a guy or girl going out to the site, right? If there's an explosion or there's a leakage and the person's down, you know, it's not like the, you know, the, who are those um, with help I fall and I can't get up, right? That's kind of that, that technology, that, that sensing that that person is in trouble or in, in I love that, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. So we, we, we serve industrial markets. So, but it's the same concept as the, you know, help I fall and I can't get up. It's the exact same concept. We just really focus on industrial workers. Yeah. So it's really hard and stuff, you know, high uptime, easy to use um, that kind of thing. And there's a demand for it really all over the world. Um, you know, every market has its own kind of needs, I guess. And, and definitely like in the Middle East, there are, you know, security, it, I'd say privacy is a bit more heightened there because they're, um, you know, maybe there's a lower level of trust for things like sure. cloud storage in North America, but, um, you know, you just, you mitigate that however you can, you, you build your infrastructure to try to serve those needs. So that's what we do. But I, I mean, yeah, I mean, you took me to that, that real, it's, it's a massive, I mean, HSC, HSC is huge. And it's like this, as soon as you roll up on site, they're bringing four or 5,000 people on, on our site. And I, I, we, I wasn't working with Qatar Petroleum. It was Qatar Tech, it was just a uh, polysilicon plant. But they'd roll on any given day. We'd have three, four thousand workers on this on the territory, and awareness of where they are. And HSC, the briefing. Have you been briefed? And you have. To, it's kind of like that. Do you have your COVID stamp? It's like, have you done your HSC briefing? Because if you haven't, you're going to the tent over there, and it's it's some serious stuff. So, I just want to I want to give you let you speak to that because, first of all, black line safety that that just 
to me, it denotes that you're safety focused, but oil and gas isn't your only, your only gig. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, what I tell people is if you're wearing coveralls or safety boots um, or a hard hat, then there's a good chance you can use our product. So our product doesn't prevent injuries, but we're there in case an injury happens yeah. to improve that outcome. So, and, and that's exactly where, you know, a lot of, of our customers have benefited. You know, we've, we've saved lives from strokes and from heart attacks and from car accidents and um, from gas exposures for, you know, all sorts of different risks in all sorts of different areas. But um, I mean, drug manufacturing was an interesting one just with the uh, COVID vaccine when it first rolled out, it had to be refrigerated at minus 70 Celsius. And the only way to do that is with uh, um, like nitrogen, liquid nitrogen or dry ice. There's other things you can do it with, but you couldn't do it with conventional refrigeration. So there was a lot of gas um, uh, exposures happening, you know, in airplanes and all over the place because of the uh, COVID vaccine right. transmission. So we ended up selling a lot of um, gas detectors just to, you know, prevent uh accidental exposure because of that so it, it you know gas exposure and and slips trips and falls and and just you know protecting people if they have a heart attack like these show up in just about every industry around the world so it's definitely not just limited to oil and gas it's a yeah. very yeah very very diverse customer base there's it keeps it really interesting you know the hsa and i mentioned that a couple of times you know the pp I, literally when i see people i, I catch my eye because i lived in the least so long and the orange, the big orange, you know, like kind of jumpsuits or whatever. And you, it just catches my eye. I'm, I wonder, I literally, I don't know if you, if you see that same lens, but the, the guy, when I see guys or girls working, I'm like, I think, I wonder what they're doing. Like, I just wonder, you know, are they the health and safety or, or they're just a city worker. But so the, those are the two areas that really caught my attention. But there's one aspect, and this is really catching my attention these days, is that the tech. And you, I guess, let's go back to you first, because you, you have a tech background. Is that right? Yeah, I'm, I'm an electrical engineer by training. So I, I guess people would say I'd move to the dark side because I'm on the sales side of the business now. But yeah. I started life uh, designing products, writing firmware, you know, writing assembly code and designing circuits and managing projects and stuff like that. So yeah, going back a few years, definitely intact. So the black line, I, I, so I run the podcast. I run a few other students. So students come on and they're like, yeah, we did an internship. So software engineers, computer science. So I, I, I'll tell you the names, but your, Jorge Avila and uh, Nusha Reisinijad, mm -hmm. they're both interns or have been interns. And I'm like, there's the tech element. Wow. So let's yeah. go there, Sean, because I, I really think like, I'm, I, I tend to get excited about tech more than oil and gas these days. So tell us what, tell us, no, that's not tell us, Novotel, but tell me or tell my two listeners, where's that tech, where did that come into play? Where, where does the tech come into play at Black? Or how did it come in? So, I mean, you've, you've, yeah. you went from GPS and, and then you've got detection. So, so that's, is that the natural linkage? And maybe you want to go back to that when you started using data and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the company, I'd say, I mean, Blackline's a really innovative company. And this does, I think this just comes from the leadership here. Like back to Brandon Cook, who started the company. And then, you know, the people that have come into the company, Cody Slater, who runs the company now, huge, huge um, innovators, like just the innovative, like it's in their DNA, you know, to right. try new things and to push forward and to not believe that anything's impossible. And so, you know, we've swung pretty big when it comes to technology, but, and we do have a full stack, um, full stacks, a bit jargony, but you know, we do, we do all of our own tech in house. So we, uh, we design the plastics for the products that people wear, you know, the, you know, this is all designed in house. The firmware is done in house, the, um, RF engineering, the hardware design, um, the, uh, the web services, all that's completely designed in house. And most of those developers, probably 95% of them are in Calgary. So we are, I'd say we're one of the premier tech employers in Calgary, especially if you want to really run something from end to end, you know, like there's definitely a lot of web companies in Calgary, but I don't think there's a ton of companies that are doing full IOT stacks where they're designing everything from the mechanical right up to the web services. So, so you, you mentioned plastics, are you doing 3d printing and, and sort of yeah, like pro this, I'm just looking around my office for one here. <laughs> yeah. The uh, we we definitely do uh, you know 3D prototypes um, to understand like the envelope of the product that we're working with. So as we're going through the design process, you know you're doing things like picking LCDs and trying to determine what your industrial design looks like. Um, what does the product look like? How big are the buttons? Are they recessed appropriately? If you lean against something, are you going to accidentally trigger the power wow. button? So you, you know you go through all those types of things in the 
you know, in that kind of early design stage. Um, so we definitely get 3D prototypes printed at that point. And then once you lock in that design, you take it to a, you know, professional tool manufacturer yeah. and they cut the steel and, and that makes a tool that you can injection mold, you know, millions of parts with. You must have a Johnny Isons, if you know Johnny, you know, for the Apple, he was that, you know, that whole thing of, do you, do you get your, your customers to test this out? Like, Hey, we've got this, forget the fanny pack, but I mean, we've got this new detection thing and it's like, do you get it out to the field on PPE equipment or whatever? Is that something you do? Cause it sounds like you do. Yeah. 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 I mean, beta testing is always huge. Um, yeah. I think, you know, again, from a design standpoint, like Cody's got a good eye for that. Barry Moore has run our um, design group for a long time. Barry's designed a lot of products. Um, Phil Benson on our industrial design team, our yeah. UX team as well. Like we've got some really uh, heavy horsepower in this company when it comes to product design. Because it's incredible, particularly if you think, uh, not the lone wolf, but just in industrial wear, it's like the, the PPP stuff. Like I'm going back to the Middle East and it was heavy and kind of cotton. And it's like, you know, and in particular in the Middle East, it's 40 degrees outside. Um, so anything extra you got to put the glasses, they fog up or the, the I, there was no real, no tech involved, but I imagine there's a huge opportunity in the boots, like the boots you wear, they're just clumps them. And is that, I mean, that getting it more comfortable for some of this stuff, is that something you look at? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, I can get real deep on this one. Um, you know, I've been in this, I've been in the business of making PPE instruments and selling them for 20 years. And, you know, years ago I used to, um, this is back when I was an engineer still, I would read these fatality reports. Like someone died from uh, H2S exposure. Yeah. And I'd read the fatality report. And what I saw more often than not, when people, uh, what was happening when people were dying from gas exposures was they were either not wearing their instruments or they were shutting them off when they were in alarm. And in both cases, there's this, you got to look at the kind of psychology of it and say, well, why would, what would cause somebody to not wear a piece of equipment that could save their life? And what would cause somebody to shut it off yeah. while it's in alarm? You know, what, what, how does that happen? And so, you know, people have to trust their equipment and they have to feel like this isn't a nuisance that, you know, everyone knows that this is, to a certain extent, we're talking about black swan events here. Like if you really drill into it, like it's not every day that someone dies from an H2S right. exposure right. Or, or explosive gas or anything like that, or a, or a heart attack. So you, you've got to make a product that is so easy to use. And um, I think just sort of like psychologically, people see this, this piece of equipment or this technology as kind of like their friend. Like they have to see this as not a nuisance, not something that's a pain in the butt, but they have to really trust it and see it that way. So that you take that psychological concept and you drill it into everything you have. What does it look like? How does it function? How easy is it to use? Yeah. You make sure that it's not false alarming. You can't have a boy that cried wolf scenario with a, with a piece of equipment. So you, you have to make sure there are very, very few false alarms um, with respect to gas exposures and things like that. So it, that permeates everything that we do. That's the starting point is we talk about people have to trust their equipment. They have to wear it. And then you go from there and then every decision that you make is really flavored with that, with that goal. You, I mean, you just, you, you conjured up a discussion I had with Jeff LaFriends from, I don't know if you know Jeff from BizWorks, but he, one of the things that we were talking about on a podcast uh, way back when was, he said, you know, imagine you roll out and you get a detection from back home, wherever it is, 50 miles away, and you go out to the site, maybe that lone wolf guy, guy or girl, and they, they, there's a, the pressure, you know, there's a sensor or something's going to blow, but you don't know exactly where on the tank. And he says, you throw on the, the, the augmented reality, virtual reality glasses, and you can see, you know, it kind of works together with the sensors. And I, I, it just, you just brought me there when you talked about that kind of on site. And do you partner up with someone like that or how, you know, because there's other moving parts at that industrial plant. Do, do you have partners like that? We're starting to get into that. So we, um, we created a role here at Blackline, I think it was about a year ago now, called the Chief Partnership Officer. And that's the objective of that group right now is to generate those partnerships. Yeah. So, you know, we recognize like we've done an incredible job building this thing that we have here, but we recognize that in the future, uh, the, you know, there has to be an ecosystem approach uh, that there are so many technologies that can work together to provide added value when they do work together. So that's what we're doing right now. So we are looking for companies like I do. I know Jeff a little bit from VizWorks. Um, yeah. We've crossed paths a few times. Um, you know, so we're looking for companies like that and, um, and just other integrations. I mean, there's so many really interesting things you can do. Um, you know, even just pulling data out of like a, 
a TPM or a total preventative maintenance module out of SAP, for example. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, pulling in, you know, when you talk about uh, industry 4.0 and people being connected to the equipment that they take care of, um, you know, if the equipment can trigger a call to action to an employee and we've got a body-worn device on that employee, we can start to move that information there. So what that starts to look like in the future is that, you know, our company goes well beyond safety. We do right now, we go beyond safety, but you get into a, a real connected worker space where you're talking about productivity and workflows and, you know, you're helping keep people safe by making sure that they don't fall behind on something. Uh, you know, in the industrial world, when I've, I mean, I used to, I worked turnarounds to put myself through university. And what I saw in those spaces was everything was safe and by the book until the job got behind. And then they uh, cut corners, they cut corners and totally, totally. And I remember, you know, being, I was probably 18 at the time. And uh, my foreman was yelling at me to get into a hole. It was raining out. He's yelling at me to get into a hole that hadn't been shored properly. So I was, you know, nine feet below grade, fishing around for a pipe underwater. And uh, I, wow. I came out of the hole at a point, like it was lunchtime. And he said, all right, get out of the hole. And I got out of the hole. And as I was getting out of the hole, the entire thing sloughed in. Like I was 30 seconds from death. But that all happened because that job was so far behind and, you know, we needed to start cutting corners. So I've kind of experienced that myself, that part of the, part of what I want to do is build products that can keep a job running efficiently, because if you have that, then people don't cut corners and you're less likely to get into an unsafe situation from that angle. So the connected worker, okay. It's, it's, it sounds in th not theory, but let you, I'll let you, you go to that, but, do they need the training? And it sounds like a big part of yours is training them about some of that connectivity. Like, and you mentioned earlier about throwing off the sensor or shutting it off, maybe there's a, whatever that issue is, but does that, how much training goes into that connected worker or you to get connect them, you know, in terms of that, cause you're, they're not working for you. They're just your client. And, and so mm -hmm. maybe, maybe you can speak to that a little bit about the connected worker. Yeah. I, from the training standpoint, I think it's, I think it's usually pretty light. Like, you know, we can ex explain how these, how our devices work in about five minutes because the way that people interact with them is fairly simple. You know, it, at the simplest level, it's like, turn it on. It'll monitor you. If yeah. you, if you stop moving, you know, it'll it'll send a call for help. If the gas gets too high, it'll send a call from help for help. Um, and then someone will, I mean, there's basically a two-way speakerphone built into our product. So then we'll say, someone will call you and ask if you're okay. And if you need help, just tell them what to do. It's, if you need a tow truck, say that. If you need an ambulance, say that. Um, so that training part's pretty easy. Um, I think from the, like from the connected worker, I mean, I guess the second part of your question, the connected worker, you know, we just see us adding more, um, technology to this to really help vector the work product. So, you know, we, I, I use the example of a cable person because it's the easiest to understand. Uh, like in the industrial world, you have all this jargon stuff. You can talk about turnarounds or construction projects and all these things, but they can kind of maybe seem a little bit abstract. Um, but it's really, it's the same problem as you have with like when you get, you ask somebody to come install cable in your house and they give you like a four hour window. And then you kind of, you kind of go like, what is like, What's this that's, a Seinfeld. that's a Seinfeld episode, you know, <laughs> I should watch that one. Uh, but, you know, so then you, you, you look at it from the other side and you're like, okay, so how, how is that, how is that person's day organized? Like, is it, should it really be a four hour window? Like, can, can you not tighten this up somehow? And so, you know, that's part of what this is, is, you know, where, where this space will go is in um, just making work more efficient, way less. And you can talk about it in lean six Sigma terms. Like there's a lot of, uh, transportation waste. There's people showing up with the wrong tools. There's not knowing, you know, not knowing really what the job truly is. There's all these different pieces to it. And that's where connected worker is going to really go, at least in the industrial space. There's estimates that there's over a trillion dollars a year of waste in the industrial world, just because, you know, people are going to do a job. And again, they don't have the right tools. They don't know where the job is, or they show up and there's something unexpected. If you're in a plant situation, there's always something rusted to something else. Um, you know, so there's a, there's a lot of things we can do to improve that. You, you've taken me, I mean, if I, if I take that, you know, that sort of, when I work in the middle, so as a CFO working for <laughs> the spare parts was a big thing. Oh, we don't have, we can't find it. We can't locate it. You know, the, the, the amount of time, the timesheets, I used to, I used to scroll through timesheets just to see where, you know, I said, how can a guy physically talk about being tired or late on it? 12 hours, 
six yeah. days a week. How can they be physical? The, the, the productivity of their, so the connected, where, where were they? That was just me being, you know, sort of a little bit uh, trying to put the health and safety on that. I'm like, I literally, I remember having that discussion because the, the invoices were huge, right? Just for that, the timesheets of the employee, because they're a big part of it. But there was always that missing parts of the lay down area. They just couldn't locate things and, and totally. lack of sequencing, yeah. right? So the whole thing yeah. of sequencing. And we yeah. did talk a little bit, Jeff, Jeff was on a second podcast where we talked about that whole construction management, project management, how they're using technology. I want to go to the data because I think more than the money saved and you can sort of put that, if you talk about the data, it'll tell you where the people moved. It'll tell you if you have sensors and you have, you, it seems like a big part of what Blackline does is work on data. And maybe Sean, it's free form. I, I just, you've taken me to a person. I think the data can tell a real story. Absolutely. Uh, it's amazing uh, how many different things we've been able to do with, with the data that we have. And what's really cool about it is you get just some really fascinating projects with customers. Um, we did one with a, a couple of like very, very large businesses in the U S uh, you know, one of them works with NASA and um, we did a movement study um, where we looked at uh, this is kind of complex, but I'll, so <laughs> right. imagine, imagine a job happening in a, in a, in a, in just a space, right? You've got people working in different clusters all over the place. And so there's maybe people working, you know, there's 10 people working in this area and then a hundred feet away, there's another 10 people and a hundred feet away, there's another 10 people. And what the company's theory was, and this is, this is data science. They had a theory and they said, can you help us prove this? And so we said, yeah, we can do that. They said, our theory is that if there's not enough safety people walking around, people start doing dumb things. And so we said, okay, well, let's, let's turn that into an experiment. So we put our devices on the people and, you know, when you're doing this, you also have to talk to the workers and say, look, normally this is about safety. What we're actually doing here is a movement study. And we're going to, yeah. so we're always very transparent with our customer base as to what we're doing. Um, and, you know, 99% of what we do is safety, but we do get involved in this very interesting, like movement tracking stuff as well. So what we found was uh, if there wasn't a safety person um, within a cluster of people, that after, I think it was about after three hours or something, you get an 80% probability that there was a safety incident about to occur, like a near miss or, or something like that. So we could quantify this. And so then what the company was able to do is literally just say, okay, this makes sense. Like time and money, we're going to have people walking around. This is why you have to go visit these sites and you got to do it uh, more often. You know, you want to try to hit them about once every hour or so, no longer than that. Uh, and and we just predict, had, So the movement, you could predict... You could give them data as predicting where an axe if you didn't. So yeah. you, you could show two side by side. This one, the guy walked around, this one didn't. And then yeah. you could predict there's going to be an accident within and maybe there's a near miss or something. Yeah, wow. exactly. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So, so we, yeah, we, we did the, you know, the whole study where we're actually recording actual incident, incidents that were happening and then overlay that with, you know, these other tests where we had people walking around and you know, basically prove that. Um, so, you know, we, we, it's interesting because you get into, you know, some of these studies really focus on efficiency and some of them focus truly on safety. And, you know, so we, we've got other sort of algorithms that we're trying to develop here that'll predict sensor failures. And, um, you know, we are the holy grail of this is, is predictive safety. The holy grail of this is to try to um, try to warn people of a risk before it really materializes. And that's that's a, you know, you don't get that. You don't get that by waving a magic wand. You have to have a lot of experience in a very specific area, and then you develop very hyper-focused algorithms on that very specific problem. And so, but then when you stack them, you end up with a. You can end up with a pretty encompassing solution. I mean, if you think of repairs and maintenance in a downtime, right? If you take a lot of these big industrial plants, they can predict. Back to my earlier about the the, the timesheets, right? This whole the connected worker. It allows them to maybe shift their employees over to there or to that section and and predictability of where there's you know I, there's there's technology today where they go right into the machinery and say they can predict maintenance or those big fans and the offshore those offshore wind fan wind wind farms or whatever they can predict maintenance based on the patterns of something the wind yeah. changed or the weather changed or yeah i, yeah. I think it's huge I, I just think the data can tell stories and you're in I mean, you're in that space, but your tech focus, you're not talking about drilling data or production data. That's the, the downhole guys or the seismic or the number of the, the yield. You're talking about 
like this in this case prediction of movie uh, people and, and where they're going how yeah, else is data yeah. sorry go ahead I was just gonna say it's very it's very human data. Like to your point, it's yeah, it's not uh, it's not like reservoir engineering. You know, we uh, we're, we have data on people and, and risk and accidents and things like that. So that's exactly what we're trying to do is to say, here's a group of people over here, and here's their results. And then if if you you know we use that understanding kind of in aggregate, we don't ever expose personal data, obviously, but yeah. you can take it in aggregate and then say, you know, this other client over here might have a bit of a risk because their pattern is is a little different. I wanted to talk about your staff profile a little bit. The, the current mix, how has that changed versus how have you seen? Because I know I, I mentioned a couple of interns and I'm sure you've got the more senior people in there, but how has that mix changed over the years? And, and maybe you want to just, it, it's, it's sort of, there's no real specific answer you have to have. It's just, I, I, how have you seen that change over your time at Blackline? That's an interesting one. Like, I mean, when I, so nine years ago, the company was, when I started, it was like 35 people and uh, we're just under 500 people today. Yeah. Um, our mix, I'd say like our, our, I mean, obviously every team's grown. Um, I think we've grown fairly proportionately, like every department's grown fairly, you know, we have um, a very large um, operations and manufacturing team here in Calgary with our own SMT lines. So we can manufacture, we do manufacture our own electronics. Yeah. Um, so we've got SMT, you know, technicians and, and QA people, um, finance, marketing, sales, software, firmware, hardware. Like, I mean, you've got almost every function that exists in a tech org. And uh, I think we've sort of grown proportionately, but we've, the, the thing I'd say is that we have a lot more senior people here than we did nine years ago. You know, it was a, uh, I feel like we're kind of a ragtag bunch of kids almost in the early days. And, you know, we've got a lot of grizzled professionals here. We've been able to attract incredible talent over the past couple of years. You know, just the bigger you get, the more momentum you have. Um, it's easier to land really, really incredible senior skilled talent. Uh, so that's probably been the biggest change is, you know, we've, we've gone from this like a little bit of a band of rebels, you know, 10 years ago to uh, like a really really incredible professional and very strong workforce now. The reason I get the kind of, I mean, obviously those interns have got my attention in terms of they're, they're software engineers. And I just started this series of Q and a with students and they're like, Oh, black line, black line. Black. I mean, so your name is coming up where I didn't expect it. I, you know, I I've had HSC experts on and I, I wanted to ask you about that. Cause in terms of that, the lens of how you see, so you, you look at it from the engineer and you look at some of maybe the GPS tracker and, but that, the lens of an HSC expert to look at those clusters. Do you have those guy, guys or girls that have had that years where they go, yeah, there's a safety issue here. And then how, and then you can bring in, let's bring the data guy and let's bring in, you know what I mean? Like your teams must be just homogeneous. You must have all these different oh, yeah. moving yeah. parts. Yeah. I mean, my, my, like I said, my main responsibility here is, is sales. So like in my sales team, you know, we have a, it's a little bit like a factory, I guess. We've got a lot of different specialized roles within the sales team. And so when it gets into that stage, we've got sales engineers and, and you know, some people that are extremely well-trained in, in you know, report generation and the understanding of the data we have and what we can accomplish. Yeah. And so, you know, we'll have people that are in field, you know, we've got uh, people in markets all around the world. So I've got people in the Middle East and Australia, Singapore, Brazil, the US. Um, and so, you know, whatever whatever contact they're having with the client, we can pull in the right resources here from, you know, from head office to say, yeah, yeah. we can create a custom report for you, or this is how we can fine tune the product or configure it for your exact safety risk, you know, your risk profile. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's definitely a big piece of, of, of running this business. You probably, the, the word I, I've had a couple of podcasts, like for, for ones was RSM Canada, the auditors. And he said 50, you know, the next, whatever it was, this was a couple of years ago, Terry Booth was on and he said, 50% are going to be CPAs. The other 50%, you just given a ballpark that are going to be data scientists. Mm -hmm. Do you, are you, I mean, nine years ago, you probably didn't have a data scientist on staff, but now you probably, they're an integral part of your business. Yeah, no, that you're exactly right. We, um, we really only started this group. It's three years ago. So we, you know, we'd been collecting data for years and, yeah. you know, we were just, we were doing our regular, just product thing. Like the product works on its own, just fine. And sure you know, the data science is this kind of added thing on top of it where you can now, 
go back to a safety officer and say, hey, would you like to see your usage rates over time? Would you like to see if there's anyone in your team that's not I using the it. product? Yeah. Would you like to see if anyone tried to shut it off when it was an alarm? Would you like to see a map of where your H2S exposures are happening or where slips, trips, and falls are happening? Would you like to see that by a worker? Would you like to see if anybody is at a higher risk than somebody else? Wow. What about a quantitative risk score that we create based on how much time they spend in environments that have known higher risk uh, you know, the near miss. Events. I mean, you talk about, yeah, I heard the biggest thing I heard from any HSC person when it was in the Middle East is the near miss and the not sort of near misses. They're never, they're not reported they're as reported. A, you know, yeah. So because the, their, their incentives are never to report. Yeah. You don't want to have an incident. It's like, the, as soon as you have an incident, it, it you know, the insurance and everything, you know what I mean? Yeah. So your incentives are not there. How do you overcome that? I just, I, I just thought of that as you talked about that. No, you, that that's such a, it's such an important question that I think a lot of people don't ask, or maybe you're afraid to ask. Yeah. That is so true. Um, that if you're a worker, like, do you really want to take time out to fill out a near miss? Um, and you got to realize that a lot of these industrial guys, like you're going to get a little bit ridiculed if you fill out a near miss, like, Oh, come on, man. Like, you know, um, and, and you're exactly right. There's a drive to zero. There's this idea of, no reportable incidents. That's the goal. Well, what does that mean? That means you don't report the incidents. So what our product does is it automatically reports this stuff up. It may, it, there's zero cost to doing it now. All the gas exposures, who it happened to, when it happened, exactly where it happened, what was the level, how long was the exposure, that's automatically updated to the cloud. It just happens. There's no additional cost. Any safety person with the author, authority or whatever can see it can see where it is. You can view it in Power BI. You can slice this in 10 ways from Tuesday. And so you can, you can now really actually keep your team safe quantitatively. Um, but to your point, we had a, we did a customer event a year ago and um, we invited a gentleman named Dr. David Michaels. Uh, so he came to our customer event and I got a chance to interview him. Um, and one of the things he talked about was so he, he was the um, head of OSHA for eight years. He was the head of the American um, Occupational Health and Safety Administration. He was appointed by Barack Obama. Um, and what he said was, you, you cannot focus on zero incidents. It's the wrong way to go about this. You've got to focus on maximum. There's no data. There's no data. No zero. Okay, we're done. Yeah, we're exactly. Done. No incidents. Okay, great. Yeah. You're in, yeah. It's over. <laughs> yeah. You got to focus on like reporting near misses and focus on continuous improvement and focus on that. And then the right results will come out. You will end up with zero incidents, but don't tell people that your goal is zero incidents because you, drive, you just won't report anything. I'm telling you, Sean, if you drive around the Middle East and there's all these construction sites, zero, it's everywhere. And the number of hours worked without incident, right? And that's a, that's a big benchmark for everyone. I'm sure HSC people pride themselves, but imagine that, you know, there's zero goals in a game of a soccer because i remember this from and i'll tell you is this the example was a soccer company uh soccer team and there's zero very little statistics if you have no goals no assists right and so the guy used data kind of like the money ball the you know from yeah. billy billy something in uh, oakland yeah. so you use statistics and some obscure team i think in the danish league or maybe it's a norwegian league was off the charts because the guy was using data for several years and picking players up that were good, you know, cis near misses, near goals, tackles. I'm just talking about soccer and they were way off. I, I can't, I wish I could find that article. It was a, uh, it was economist or whatever it was. It was a few years back. And I'm like, Whoa, that was data because there's very little statistics in a, a sport like soccer. So. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that's the, that's the thing that, you know, connected technologies is one of the major, major, things connected technologies can deliver, um, especially in the safety realm. I mean, that's what I know about. So I'll talk about that, but sure. no, no, like no. when it's, when you're dealing with connected devices, the cost to do this stuff just drops rapidly. Like all the data is automatically brought up to the cloud. You can see it if it's in the right form and we use power BI for ours. So it's a very interactive format um, and people can sift through it. If you don't do that, then it can, it can cost like literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to collect the manual data. side of it all. Right. And putting it together, yeah. Excel spread. Yeah. I, we had a major, we had an electrical company. One of the clients said it was like 30 something million for the, to do the electrical. And we did the inspection. So we did the kind of like you said, the walkabout, but we were just, we were being on site as the contract. We were the main contract. We were, we were the client. And so they literally had come up and they had six guys and they had manual sheets. This was only a couple of years ago. They had manual sheets 
to fill in their times, right? And the, the yeah. day, well, I said, where's your institute? You know, whatever they're, you're working, oh, here it is. And the guy had a, you know, kind of a little clipboard. And I'm like, geez, the amount of time you'd have to go back and fill that in. And, you know, there's no data. I mean, it's just, it's, it's six days old by the time it gets into the system, so. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things we've done for a lot of our turnaround clients. So people that, again, running large petrochemical facilities. Uh, so for the listeners that don't know what a turnaround is, you've got a large <laughs> refinery or another billion dollar asset. Yeah. And if you don't maintain that asset, it can blow up uh, and you'll kill people and you'll destroy your business. Like your, so, black, like your black swan event. Yeah. Totally, totally. So anybody that's running a billion dollar petrochemical facility and there's hundreds or thousands of these around the world they shut these things down for a couple of weeks a year and they do a bunch of maintenance to make sure that nothing is going to go catastrophically wrong and so during that two weeks where this billion dollar asset is shut down they're losing a lot of money during that time so they want it up and running fast and that's one of the things that we've done in these projects is we've helped people understand you know where the where the waste is happening in their workforce like what time are people getting to work in the morning um you know if you've got a contractor is is their billing appropriate so and, and again these things are not safety based this is totally a productivity play and we're very clear with people what we're doing here in these in but these there cases is, there is a, a the element to that where the cfo's desk or your desk where the people like if it's timesheet depending on you know if they're if they're linkedin linkedin sorry the you know, if they're linked, we're not on LinkedIn, folks. Uh, sorry, we're not. But you know, I mean, that if it's connected, you give data, you give information that could be supplementary. Your your main core core is focused on HSC, but there's so many supplemental. Like you talk about maintenance, talk about the cost, talk about yeah. uh, the capex or the opex or around that. Yeah. Uh, depending on the type of plant, are you are you bringing in? So we were in construction, and we were bringing in these these uh, hydrogen things, the skiff, uh, with hydrogen because they weren't ready over there. But if you had the data and predict when do we need that because it's standby if it sits mm -hmm. on standby or yeah. the rman the repairs and maintenance hs not hsc but the fm facilities for 25 years they're running this stuff um and that that data will be i'm just i know the middle east is probably there's there's hot spots of different companies but i think wow the amount of manual stuff that's going on and what you're just talking about it's like it's like that it's I, huge, I, seriously yeah. how many jobs have been shut down because they didn't have the right size gasket <laughs> it's insane like the yeah. pump that pump manufacturer the pump seized and it shuts the entire you know the, the weakest link right so yeah but how did you know you know for you sean i mean i mean for your company and your clients internally did covid maybe for you can you speak to covid a bit not in just just in general how did things change and the before and after and, and during yeah uh well i mean it was i think everybody's got their own kind of adventure story of COVID um, for us <clears throat> really early in that process. It was before Calgary locked down or maybe a day after it was really, really rapidly after or just, you know, during that process, uh, Cody, our CEO just sent a letter out to all the employees and said, nobody's going to lose their job. Well, we're going to make sure that we keep everyone's job. So the sure. first thing that Blackline did was just make sure that people here that worked for the company felt safe and that they were, you know, they were, they were confident. Um, you know, we had, what we saw with our customer base, um, you know, most of our customer base is, is very industrial customers are people that are taking care of infrastructure. So power, yeah. water purification, oil and gas, things like that. Um, there, there was about a 11% drop in usage of, of our product during that time. So we saw that most, most of that hit was in downstream operations. So, you know, we can understand if people are using our product every day, like all those data streams in, so we can see if a device is running or not. Um, so we watched that really carefully and what we saw was pretty consistent, you know, usage in every industry, except for downstream oil and gas, um, slow down. And this was, you know, these are select refineries that may be shut down because of demand for gasoline had dropped. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we had some customers asking, you know, to pause service and we helped them with that. You know, we tried to keep their bills under control. A lot of our client base wanted more, they wanted longer, uh, terms to pay. We helped them with that. Um, and then we just kind of managed through it. So, I mean, we had a, we had a lot of, you know, great support from the leadership in our company to keep our own people safe. And then we, we did the same with our customers and, and, you know, we had no interruptions. Sales definitely dropped. I mean, the sales of new product, I think were down, you know, for a period about 30 to 40%, which was sort of in line with our peers. Uh, you know, the world just kind of locked up for six months, but we weathered that, you know, as a, I guess, if you're an investor of Blackline, um, you know, a lot of our revenue comes from recurring service. So it's a bit like yeah. a cell phone model. You know, we can, we can sell uh, pretty amazing equipment at a pretty low upfront cost. And then we 
effectively monetize it over time through these service plans that we have. Um, so that, that kept, you know, kept the company healthy and, uh, um, you know, it was, it was hard on a lot of employees. Like a lot of employees were, again, it's hard working from home. It's hard being in a customer support role when you're working out of your kitchen. It's hard to be onboarded <laughs> as a new employee yeah. in your kitchen. So, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of the things we went through were the same as everybody else. You know, it's a lot of people feeling, feeling isolated and, you know, you do your best to try to keep your people healthy and, and reach out to them and let you know that, that you care. And, uh, you know, I think just long-term, I think the, I think we weathered it really well because I think we took a really human approach to our own sure. employees. You know, it's not, it's, it wasn't perfect, but I, th- I think we, I mean, we did the best we could. The health and safety side, and the reason I, I go there is, is that because of that, if people aren't there on site, I, I almost think that there's a heightened level. And we, because we talked about our, the factories, and if, if you shut them down for, you put in a freeze, you know, you freeze it, or not freeze it, but you, this, this was pretty, obviously pre-COVID back, back in 17, 2017. And, and we we're talking, well, what if we just shut this down, but, and waited for the investors, because it was a con- commissioning the, the plan, they, they were going to wait. You still need a certain level of employees. So was, I guess I was, maybe I'm looking for that, but is, was there anything where that people said, well, were they cut back? But literally that's it. You don't want to cut back on some of these health, particularly if you leave that plant unattended or, you know what I mean? Did you, is there something there where maybe you just want to share if there's a you know, story where a client says, well, we cut back, but we did this or. We didn't, we didn't really see a lot of that. I mean, you know, maybe the one thing that was different for us was um, really early in COVID, we rolled out a contract contact tracing solution i think we were one of the first companies in the world to actually get this All out right. so like it was around march 15th is when calgary locked down and i think it was that day or really close to that day it was a saturday and i remember talking with a few people on my team um uh and we we determined that we could build a contact tracing solution uh we have bluetooth in our body-worn devices and we had a huge um you know uh, ability to process that data yeah. Uh, so we sort of mapped out what that would look like. And within a week, we had a proof of concept. And then uh, and, and we started actually with just GPS data. We didn't start with Bluetooth. We started with GPS data. So two people are within the same bubble. Because you're back was. to your GPS, right? That back to your roots. You, yeah. you, got, you went back to your roots. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we were able to say, you know, we looked up some standards that said that 10 to 15 minutes is about how long it would take to infect somebody in open air. So we, you know, we, we put those parameters around it. We said, if you guys are in the same six foot bubble for 10 minutes, then we'll call that a contact. And uh, after three weeks, we had that production ready. And on the fourth week, we, I was doing webinars and we were rolling it out. And, uh, you know, I had interviews with NPR in the States and CBC and all sorts of cool publications, but, you know, that was a, I like that story because it showed, you know, the never say die and the innovative spirit and yeah. the, just the horsepower of this company. Like it was an amazing experience for me to see people in the company build that. I mean, I was involved in this from a, I was on the outside saying, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do it, you know, and, and doing webinars, but we had a, just some amazing talent in the company to, to, to build that. Um, and then, and then, we didn't actually have a lot of people uh, that knew how to deal with that. Like they, you know, we had a lot of companies that were really interested and then it all kind of came down to like, yeah, but what do we, how do we put a policy in place? Like if we know that there's a positive contact, what do we do with this? And by the way, nobody's enforcing these things. Like AHS is not going to bring anybody a fine if they're being completely irresponsible. So it's a kind of an interesting example where you can say, you know what, you can bring an awesome safety product to market but there still has to be some kind of corporate will or a legislative force, you know, to drive this. And so that was, a, that was an interesting learning experience. Then I had a people calling me from all sorts of other companies, like, uh, but some really large global companies that were doing their own contact tracing yeah. and they were seeing the same very lethargic pickup and they were calling saying, you know, we heard that you guys did this, like, what's your response been? And so we kind of, we found the same response with just about every company that did this, like really cool tech, uh, nobody really knew what to do with it. So is it, is it still in, in play or is it just sort of parked it right now? Yeah, no, it's still, it's still there. Um, it still works. And we, we have maybe, I would say there's probably 1500 people like globally that are using our solution, uh, our contact tracing element yeah. here, which is not many. Um, it just, and it ended up being only extremely forward thinking, proactive, companies with extremely strong leadership that said, we're doing this. 
Um, yeah. and, that, and so that's kind of that tip of the iceberg. You know, you see that in every company, right? Like we talk about leadership is like, what's your ability to drive change in your organization? And, you know, to get your company to um, adhere to a contact tracing solution in the industrial world during COVID, when everybody's got all their 10,000 other things to worry about, um, I think that takes pretty strong leadership in a company to really drive that through. But I, when, again, listening to you speak, you mentioned earlier about how you're the client with the clusters. I think there's a, you know, there might be a different use case, maybe not for contact tracing and keeping people safe, but it's got that, again, the data could tell you the story of sort of that incidental thing. Oh, by the way, here's what we found. We, we, the contact tracing, maybe nobody's using it, but now we, we found that, I mean, I, I can't really think of it offhand, but I'm thinking, wow, I think there's some data, maybe only 1500 here are using it, but there's a potential tens of thousands or millions. I don't know what that is, but it's that cluster. When you talked about that cluster, that reminds me similarly the HSC movement because there was a there was a technology that came I, I saw something that was in hospitals and they looked at movement of people and staff so they're using the data of how to predict what to buy for the hospital when to staff during peak you know the black there's that there was a series running a few years ago it was called black, something during that key in emergency ward and it was like that key people when it's you just have that rush and you know, so that peaks and valleys and, and for staffing and for uh, maintenance and whatever it is. And it was like that, to me, that sits somewhere in there because you know where people are internally, externally, and you're using that. I don't know. I'm just, wow. I think the data eventually will tell some story. I don't know. Yeah. You, you, you got to, your data analyst or data scientist will pick that up for you. Yeah, definitely. No, I think you're right. I mean, there's a, we do a lot of experiments here. A lot of, you know, we have a, a really strong culture, I think of, of let's try that and let's learn from that. Um, and I think, you know, we've developed that, you know, that and other technologies we've developed that we know that we can do other things with. And, uh, you know, you, you, I guess the one caveat I'll put behind that is that we, we do our best to try to just make sure that they're, you know, they're not technologies that can be misused. You know, that's, we're, we're in a unique position of, like if, uh, again, back to trust, right? If people don't trust their safety equipment, they won't wear it, it'll shut it off. Yeah. Um, and so we wanna make sure that people don't think that we're trying to do something nefarious with this. <laughs> so that- But that's the, it, you're uh, right. Cause you mentioned earlier about the privacy or the confidentiality, right? So the data, people are kind of, but if it's just used for a purposes of telling a story and not specific to any one individual, yeah. you know, that, that analytics can be powerful. I'll just give you a quick example, James McCara. Um, from uh, Calgary Food Bank, he was he was using data of the other agencies, and so other social agencies that, of the people that moved in and out. So their customers that are moving in and out, getting the food. If we don't see them for a while, they don't. It's not necessarily a good sign because they, if they're going to other agencies, then maybe there's social issues that mm -hmm. come up. And so he's using that to. He said, "Look, this customer came in, and we we saw that he was also at these other places, your places." And he goes, "Well, where'd you get the data from?" Well, you guys gave us the data so that he was using data to understand the movement outside of Calgary Food Bank. And so they could predict um, where they might need, you know, certain types of foods or whatever it is, or maybe referrals to other services. Anyway. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I mean, this is kind of, we, we haven't figured this one out yet, but um, I would love to figure out um, how to affect insurance premiums uh, with this. You know, we, we keep people safer. We've saved lives. And I think that's another benefit that I would love to see go back to, you know, a corporation who's using this. And that's, that's a way that we can supply our data, you know, through that corporation to their insurance provider. We haven't figured out how to do that yet. <laughs> so, no, but insurers go by data, they go by risk, right? They want to yeah. avoid the risk. Yeah. So the more information, so near misses or zero, zero. So great. Yeah. You know, they're going to, they're going to rate that. Cause I remember I learned a lot from the offshore, from the, for, for BI insurance, for business interruption insurance and obviously incidents. And so, and if you're a small provider versus a big provider, that data, I think your partner should be, in my view, would be the insurance company. So that get them on board and understanding that. So then when they're going out to the then it's not a black swan event, it's, uh, it's more predictable. It's more understood because they, they, they work on risk, right? They work yep. on risk management. How, what are the, the factors? HSC incidents are going to cause your premiums to go up. No incidents. Oh, in theory, yeah. they should come down, but there's only a, there's a point they can go on a big industrial plant. There's always going to be something. But yeah, I, personally, I think that's your your partner should be the insurer because you have the data with your other partners. Maybe that's the trifecta. The three together work go hand in hand. You know, here's yes. our client. Here's the data. The data is a the data here. She's the data is is it a he or a she? Is data 
is it a feminine or a masculine? <laughs> but the data is your friend, right? The data yeah. comes with you. It's in your pocket. You pull it out. Yeah. But Sean, so yeah. I, I, maybe we can, we can talk offline on that. The, um, but uh, the, you guys had some recognition from, there's a company called Deloitte. I used to work for them way back when. <laughs> tell, tell me about the background because this is interesting because we talked a lot about tech and data and, and things like that. How, what did the Deloitte's, how did you get on their screen? Oh, that's a good question. I think that was uh, through our finance team. Um, <clears throat> so our, you know, our finance people obviously have contacts back to Deloitte. Uh, so I think we just have been on their radar and we, we've been on fastest growing companies lists, you know, for quite a while. So uh, uh, what's the other one, the Globe and Mail, we, we typically land on the Globe and Mail's because uh, we are one of the fastest growing public companies in Canada. Yeah. We are, I think we're one of the largest and fastest growing tech companies in Western Canada. Um, we're the large, we're one of the fastest growing tech companies in Calgary. So we tend to sort of have a, we're kind of on a few people's radar, I guess. <clears throat> so the Deloitte one, the same deal it was a, uh, like a five-year growth. Um, you know, here's a, here's an award for your, your five-year growth. Uh, and, and I think we, we typically rank sort of like, I want to say, you know, fifth or seventh in Calgary, like across the board in these categories, tech or otherwise, you know, just, you know, we, st- I, we've, I, I, I'm, I'm, first of all, you've got the oil and gas side and you have the tech side, which is the, the, I don't know, you call the Holy grail in Calgary that you hear from the thought I've, since I've come back to Calgary, 2019. Yeah. Te- you know, the, to live this, this t-shirt I'm wearing live tech, love life. That's the Calgary economic development. The very first within two months of being landing in Calgary, and Mary Moran from Calgary Economic Development at the time, she's talking about this whole, you know, live tech, love life was their new mantra. And I, it's incredible because you've, you've got them both. You're, you're pillared on two major parts where the government and, and sort of the thought leaders are trying to do. Um, so fantastic. So, I mean, do you want to say anything about that? Because I think that you, the two together, you should somehow marry them up. And maybe that's the, you know, marry, take me, but just, you know, marry the two together, the tech and the oil and gas or industrial side, because I think it seems to be separate. Most companies out there, either tech focused or your oil and gas or something between mm-hmm. banks, or I think, you know, I don't, it's just not, a, it's not a question, Sean, it's just a statement. I yeah. Think- you know, it's, it's, it's been a, I really do think this is a, it's just been a great place to be. I mean, I've loved my time here. It's, we cross so many boundaries and you can, come to work and, and feel like you're doing something meaningful because you're, you know, you're keeping people safe, but it is also, you know, really, really high tech stuff. And, uh, you know, we, we serve a global market. I mean, it's just, it checks a lot of boxes. It's been a, it's been an awesome ride and we contribute to the local economy. We, and we've got hundreds of people in Calgary in very, very skilled positions. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they might leave here someday and go start their own company, you know, never know where this stuff is going to go, but it's all part of that, uh, it's all part of the economic diversification. It's, it's just, it's a, it's a great, great story. I had to dig, I had to dig. There's a fellow, when I, again, first back, a family friend owned an apartment in downtown Calgary and the guy moving out, I just helped him out with Sachin Fernando. So Sachin was, and that I literally, he comes up when you, when I go to Blackline on LinkedIn, some other connections are working there. And I'm like, I'd forgotten. So I just clicked on that. So he, I think he's left you now recently, but I don't know if you know him. He's a software developer, a senior guy. And he literally, I remembered it, but it was kind of vague reference. He worked at Blackline. But so I'm just telling you, it's, it's just a guy who was a developer two years ago I came across yeah. and he worked at Blackline. Never thought of it until today. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's cool. There's, we've, uh, yeah, we've been lucky to just have an incredible uh, team really across the board. And uh, the Calgary tech sector is so small. <laughs> like, I think, there, you know, maybe three degrees of separation between the entire city here in the tech sector, you know, uh, across to Mary Moran. She's been in our office a number of times. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it, it is really interesting. It's, it's, a, it's still a really exciting space to be in in Calgary because it is so tight. Well, I do have one last one. It's from the tech side. There's Isabel Guimet. I know she's working for, she's going to be on a future guest of the podcast in my, one of those student series. Uh, and I just noticed she's listed as someone who works for you or will be work as an intern. So it's, you, you really make an inroads. I, you know, to hats off because the, 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 t- the software engineers and the computer science students seem to know who you are. Um, maybe it's time, you know, others, know, others as well. And you've got Deloitte's attention, the global mail, but I'm sure there's more out there. So. 
Yeah, so definitely. On that note, Sean, I mean, just on where does media play? You can use social media. Where, where do you see that as an element of of making you know getting create awareness for your team? Uh, it hasn't been a huge piece to date. Um, you know, I you know, and I should say we're all over social media, but we're just really not. I mean, our buyers are industrial buyers. It's like it's we do corporate work you know we don't sell direct to consumers we sell to corporations and corporations don't tend to make their decisions based on your instagram feed or you know <laughs> yeah how many videos you have up on youtube uh so you know we have a pretty light uh social media presence yeah um you know and, and what we do on there is almost more for i shouldn't say it's more for fun but um you know we, we keep a pretty light presence on there we do we do maintain it but it's not something that we you know really invest heavily in you know, GE ran a commercial a few years back and it was a guy, the guy, son comes in, dad, I'm working for GE. And he goes, and he pulls out the big sledgehammer and puts it on the table. He goes, it's about time, son. He goes, but dad, I'm a, I'm a software engineer. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that, I think that speaks to what you're saying. It's your industrial customers may not understand that, that there's not the linkage. I, I, I can't think of something you could do or not do, but I think it does speak to the safety element. And it's like, the guy's got a safety hat on, but he's coding, you know, that's uh, just if you're attracting the te te talent or tech talent or oil and gas guy, you know, I mean, they're HNC, HSC, you have a mixture of people that have different, as I mentioned, the mixture. And I think that's very important. VE, long time ago, I was working in oil and gas for many years and G, I saw G had a big oil and gas division and they of course bought Baker Hughes, mm -hmm. but G came across that they bought an asset, some massive thing in Italy and they ended up inheriting this oil and gas division which has come big part so you know you're you probably have two major divisions right now oil and gas or safety division and the coding division <laughs> i don't know if that if it if it speaks to that your two divisions but that to me those are your your oil and gas anchor and your or hsc anchor and the, and the coders so i mean the coders are part of everything that we do like the the every single thing that we make has software in it yeah. uh so i mean and our i mean this all runs like every every device that we make runs through a, a cloud connected stack that our software engineers make and it and like that has to run all the time if that goes down for 30 seconds yeah. we have a problem so we're talking high, we're talking reliability on a level that um is beyond what most companies even think in in terms of um or now i should caveat that i'd say like if you're trans Canada pipelines, yes, your SCADA network is extremely highly reliable. You know, those companies are dealing with high reliability systems. But I think when you're talking about just a generalized web service, you know, we've got higher uptime than most, you know, general web services, which is really impressive. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the software, the tech team, every single thing that we do, um, their fingerprints are all over it. And, and then really it's just what, what market are we selling that into? You know, is it oil and gas? Is it wastewater? Is it electrical distribution? Is it food manufacturing, you know, breweries, uh, yogurt factories, semiconductor factories, you know, just so many different uh, markets that we sell our product into. There are, but there are individuals that could be, you know, so you mentioned every single of those industrial companies have individuals who could be, you know, that awareness on social media. I don't, I'm not saying you need to run a TikTok ad and showing people wearing HSC equipment, but that awareness, if it pops up as an industrial, like, oh, I mean, oh, that kind of thing, because I, I work there. <laughs> I work I work for Danone factory, right? Danone makes yeah. milk products, but Danone also has that industrial component to it. So I'm not, I'm not here to, to, to pitch that. I'm just saying, yeah, someone said that once, that every individual, the, the industrial side or the, the B2C or B2D or whatever, D2, you know, business side, there's also the individual side, so. Yeah, no, definitely. I, th no, I think you're right. I mean, when you talk about trust too, like, I think it's, it's cool if like, you know, if people are, are saying, yeah, we're going to get black line products in, you know, they can go to the web and understand what it is and, or they can go to Instagram and see pictures of people with it and stuff like that. Like that's a, that's probably something we could, we could lean into a bit. Yeah. I mean, the bus stop is one thing. If I don't drive by, I don't see that bus stop or, you know, I use my CA magazine. <laughs> it's, it's my trusty CA magazine. That's, you know, um, you know, there's, if it's not on print, uh, you certainly, and you mentioned, I think I, I see you've got um, some YouTube and I've seen you, one of your, you know, you're, you're out there kind of creating content. And I think that you've got content that's, that gives you data. 
there's also content that gets creates awareness and, and over the long haul. So you, you yeah. it, those marry up somehow, but you bet. so what's, what's the future then for, for you know, Sean of, of black line and how do you see, is there anything you want to share any secret sauce or <laughs> uh, secret sauce? That's a tough one. Uh, we have, I mean, the secret sauce of black line is just great leadership and a great, uh, um, you know, a strong vision. We, we definitely have, we definitely play in a good market. Um, we've been really, really lucky to hire incredible people. I shouldn't say lucky. We're, we're, we're pretty methodical about how we hire, uh, here. Um, so that's our secret sauce. It's uh, harder to recreate. So, you know, uh, but the future for Blackline is, um, you know, we're going to keep building incredible connected safety products. We're moving an entire industry here. We were the first company to really come out with anything like what we did. We were the first company to really do a, a great job of industrially connected loan worker products. We were the first company to create portable gas detectors that were truly connected. You know, native connectivity works out of the box. Um, and we're going to keep going down that path. So we're going to build, we're going to go in kind of both directions. We're going to take some, we're going to build simpler, lower cost connected products that can serve um let's say second world or you know lower margin first world businesses that's an important part and that's a, that's a key piece of like growing our business but also just doing the right thing we we take a lot of pride in being able to move the market here um, and then on the other side um building a deeper connectivity uh like richer interfaces that allow people to control the productivity of their business operations through the product so going beyond safety and getting into that productivity space and, and the associated software products that are going to come with that so that's real-time project management it's field service management it's things like that so that's that's the kind of longer term direction here we're, we're just going to keep you know adding value to the connected worker through the things that we build I just, I think it's, it's so, I'm, I'm really, Sean, I'm really glad I've had this chats, you know, to hats off to Gail for bringing us together. And, and it's uh, one last thing, how do they find you? I mean, I, I see you're in France, UK, but you're, you're right downtown Calgary here, but how do they find any, any, uh, is it long blacklinesafety.com or how do you? Yeah. Blacklinesafety.com. That's the best, best oh. way to find us. And, uh, you can buy our products in about 70 different countries right now. So go to Blackline Safety and click a form if you want to buy something. Do you have the swag? Do I get, come on, do I get some swag? This swag, this this shirt, t-shirt came from, so send me some swag, Sean. I'll, I'll be all, I will. Okay. But this, oh, we got some good stuff. Sean, thanks for taking the time today. It's been fantastic. And I, I literally think you guys are in a great space uh, to disrupt uh, both the tech and the oil and gas or, you know, clean tech, whatever you want to call it. So thank you for, for taking the time today. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Alan. It was fun. Have a great day, Sean. Cheers. You too.